Hi. <laughs> um, Jess reminded me of something really cool before. Um, a couple of Mother's Days ago, there was a chocolate like this one and it had a verse on it and Holy Spirit had actually spoken the same verse to me. I'd never heard it before or I'd, I'd never stored it in my mind before. Um, and I was doing the dishes and um, it was in the middle of my marriage separation and I was feeling pretty rotten and I was thinking, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to come into freedom with you, Jesus? And, um, and then I was playing the Bible in the background and this verse came on and it said, um, she will walk out of her wilderness leaning against her beloved. And then as that verse came, it just went in my heart and I just burst into tears and Holy Spirit was like that's for you and then shortly after I come it's Mother's Day I get the chocolate and it says she will walk out of her wilderness leaning on her beloved and I was like <laughs> wow Jesus and today I just feel like it's really significant I feel the sense of him right here I feel like I can go Hey Jesus and lean on my beloved and you know when I used to worship um, and get so fearful you know like for the last four years <laughs> of leading worship every single time I was like please Jesus I don't want to be scared anymore and every time I just battled fear so hard and I couldn't I couldn't worship from my heart because I'm dealing with this fear all the time and I and my biggest fear was like are you gonna be there or am I going to be fake, like worshipping and then not even sensing you? And then what's the point? And so it was just such a, oh, such a mess with my mind kind of thing. And so now I just, I, I have this sense of like Emmanuel, you know, like God with us. He doesn't bail and he's always there even when I can't feel him. I can, I know that he is. And so there's this sense of like leaning on my beloved, like, oh, I know you're there. And this is, it's so peaceful. And so anyway, um, that was a side topic about Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> the rest of it's not about Mother's Day. Um, so yeah, um, I was thinking about doing it on the fear of the Lord. But then I woke up in the middle of the night a couple nights ago and Holy Spirit was like, no, nah, I want you to do it on this, on the bigness of me. And I was like, wow. And then he just started to drop different little thoughts in my heart and, and I started to jot them down and, and I could really feel his breath on this. Whereas the other one I was like, mm, it's kind of clunky, like it's all true, but it's not really flowing. So I'm going to play this video. Um, it starts in Germany and it zooms out till Earth is just basically a speck. But you know in Psalm 33 um, how it talks about how God with one single breath out of his mouth breathed every star in existence. Like how nuts is that just for a moment? <laughs> well, if you watch this video, it's, it's almost as if it's a drone going all the way out into outer space and it goes through our galaxy and then it gets smaller and smaller till our galaxy is just a speck. And then you're surrounded by specks and every one of those specks represents an entire galaxy. And then it just goes further and further out. And if you keep in the back of your mind that our universe is constantly expanding and the thought of what is it expanding into and the, and the idea, the theory that perhaps we're even in a multiverse, like we're not just one universe but there's multiple universes just like this and how absolutely gigantically huge that is and then think about God with one breath 
universe. Nuts, hey? So let's just ponder that and I'll read some scriptures over the top at certain points and yeah, have a think. (laughs) You're allowed to play the sound. You don't have to. So that's Germany. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed and all the stars were born. With breathtaking wonder, let everyone worship Yahweh, this awe-inspiring creator. He breathed words and worlds were born. Let there be, and there it was, springing forth the moment he spoke, no sooner said than done. The Lord looks over us from where he rules in heaven, gazing into every heart from his lofty dwelling place. He observes all the peoples of the earth. The creator of our hearts considers and examines everything we do. Yahweh shows favour to those who fear him, those who wait for his tender embrace. Look at the splendour of your skies, your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you're the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But I have to ask this question. Why would you bother with puny mortal man or care about human beings? Yet, what honour you have given to men, created only a little lower than Elohim, crowned with glory and magnificence. You have delegated to them rulership over all you have made, with everything under their authority. 
placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. All the created order and every living thing of the earth, sky and sea, the wildest beasts and all that move in the paths of the sea, everything is in submission to Adam's sons. Yahweh, our sovereign God, your glory streams from the heavens above, filling the earth with the majesty of your name. People everywhere see your splendour. Thank you. So that's pretty crazy, hey? <laughs> oh, he's so huge. Um, so I was pondering the hugeness of him and how sometimes we get stuck thinking about the little things in our life, just the the little day-to-day things and um, or we get stuck thinking about things that seem long-term to us like having a savings plan, having a retirement fund, you know, all of those sort of um, things that are small in scale to eternity but are huge in scale of just our earth life and, and we start to get obsessive. It's almost like our heads are down, looking, looking, looking down here instead of looking up here like, whoa. Whoa, like have you guys ever seen um, Francis Chan's rope illustration? Has anyone seen that? Yeah, so it's a ripper. I'm going to tell it to you for the ones who haven't seen it. <laughs> it's um, imagine that I'm holding a rope and I'm holding the end of it here in my hand, but this rope stretches on and on and on forever, like it never ends, right? And this rope is a timeline, and the timeline is the timeline of your life. And in this little section here held in my fist, that's how much of your life is lived on earth. The whole rest of it is somewhere else. (laughs) The whole rest of your life is in another place. And when we ponder that, it makes these obsessions with these little things on this little patch of the timeline seem so silly. Like, I'm going to work really hard just here so I can make a savings plan for enjoying this little bit just here. (laughs) And we don't think about, um, you know, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where um, rust and moth don't destroy and thieves don't come in and steal. But that treasure in heaven 
that is the stuff that lays the foundation for our whole eternity. Like that's the goods. And um, and so yeah, I've been um, I've been thinking about that. And um, according to one Corinthians, um, you know, the valuable treasure is the stuff that's made out of lasting materials. So um, we'll read the scriptures in a minute, but. Um, it basically talks about how, as Christians, we all build on the foundation of Jesus. We build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, right? But we can build them with two different types of things. So we can build them with the sort of treasure that only lasts for this little time period, or we can build them with the treasure that lasts all the way down the rope. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, the example Paul uses is for this little time period, if you want to build for the treasure that just lasts there, he says you use things like straw and sticks and hay and they're all things that actually either rot away, they rot away, like they don't last forever. And Paul encourages us to instead use things like precious stones and gems and and, and all of those sort of things that could be in a fire or they could be in the earth forever and they would never actually deteriorate. And so when we use deteriorating things to build our lives, things that will only last for this part of existence, then we're not really storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And the downside of that is that on judgment day, because... It won't be, like, there's a judgment day that's just for Christians. It's not like, um, it's not for the unbelievers. So if, if you're worried about that, just go and have a look through scriptures about reward and, and the judgment seat of Christ and you'll figure it out for yourself. But there is one. And <laughs> you come before Jesus and it's not where he's going, I condemn you because obviously all condemnation is covered by the blood of Jesus. That's sorted. Our eternal destination is sealed. Um, you know, our salvation is totally sorted. Every bit of condemnation was put on Jesus on the cross. So we don't have to worry about that. But there will be be a place where we come before the judgment seat of Christ and he'll be explaining to us um, whether the things that we did in our life were valuable to him and worthy of reward or whether they were worthless. And and so the worthless things, when they're tested by fire, so he'll test them, mm, nope, that one burned up, that was made out of wood and straw and stuff that was only temporal. Um, but if he burns it and it's like stones and precious things, they don't burn. So those things last and Jesus says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Go and enjoy my paradise. And to the others, he says, they'll experience great loss on that day. And though they enter eternity, it's with great loss as though one escaping the flames. So I don't really want to be that person. <laughs> That's a little bit scary but a little bit awesome because it's also motivating. <laughs> um, so um, let's have a read of some scriptures around that real quick. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Um, I'm reading from the Passion because I think it says it well. For one day we will all be openly revealed before Christ on his throne, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us will be duly recompensed for our actions done in life, whether good or worthless. And so those words, duly recompense, means we'll get our fair dues. 
So we'll get a fair reward for our actions done in life, whether those actions were valuable or whether they were worthless. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 to 15, it says, So builders beware, that's the people building their life on the foundation of Jesus. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. The quality of materials used by anyone building on this foundation will soon be made apparent, whether it has been built with gold, silver and costly stones or wood, hay and straw. Their work will soon become evident for the day of judgment will make it clear because it will be revealed by blazing fire and the fire will test and prove the workmanship of each builder. If his work stands the test of fire, he will be rewarded. If his work is consumed by the fire, he will suffer great loss, yet he himself will barely escape destruction, like one being rescued out of a burning house. So, we don't want to suffer great loss. <laughs> um, I thought to myself, hearing those things can be super scary, so I just also wanted to quickly read a scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, to encourage you that you can never work for the reward of salvation. So these rewards are not salvation. This reward is not talking about heaven. That thing is sorted. So it says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or for human striving. So even though Paul really encourages us to strive and run our race for a prize and do good works, he's like all through James, you read James, it's packed with do good works faith without works is dead if you reckon you've got faith and there's no works there then you're deluding yourself you know <laughs> and so um, even though there's a lot about that in the bible it's not ever going to get us our salvation our salvation is not through that stuff our salvation is just through Jesus blood so that will never be a reward that you're working for it does mean that we want to be building on earth with treasure that has eternal value because we want to hear well done good and faithful servant when we get there so what sort of treasures have eternal value and I was sitting there with Holy Spirit and I was like yeah what is the <laughs> what is that treasure Lord and then he's like Beth think about the two most important things that are said that I want you to value in the whole Bible, like Jesus summed it up. Love God, love others. And he's like, and what are the only two things that will come with you from this tiny little period of life all the way down the rope? God and people. Everything else will be, everything else will fade away. I was like, whoa, that's so true. So loving God and loving people is the way that we um, earn our treasure, I guess you'd say. So um, love is the thing that needs to motivate us. So if we love God and we do an action out of that place, then 
Jesus, when he tests that thing, tests that action, he'll see, oh, it's made of the eternal stuff. It's made of loving God. Sweet as, that's going to get a reward. <laughs> if it's made out of the temporal stuff, which might be, um, I get the glory in front of all the people. Hooray. Then that will probably be burned up because that stuff doesn't go with you into eternity. <laughs> um, if it's based in pride or fear or selfishness or control, any of those things will be burnt up even if they're the exact same good works. So say we're worshipping and we're worshipping out of pride that everyone's looking at us or something, um, we're worshipping out of fear, um, then that worship potentially might get burned up because it isn't full of the love for God and it isn't full of the love for people. So everything needs to be motivated by these two things if we want treasure that lasts eternally. So, oh, this was super fascinating too. You know love. So love is the only thing that the Bible talks about that also lasts eternally out of all of the um, gifts. So it says prophecy will fade away, tongues will fade away. Love never fades away. So let's have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 and 13. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. And love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. So, above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. How cool is that? <laughs> so amazing. Mm. Yeah. So if we're really into long-term planning um, and savings and all of that sort of stuff, then I would suggest we come... We, we start saving into our heavenly bank account and make a savings plan in heaven where we store up these treasures for ourselves that will never um, be destroyed by moth or rust or thieves or anything like that and they'll last for eternity and then we'll get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant and we'll enter into paradise and it'll be an awesome day, not a day of sadness and loss. So... Um, some of the ways that we could flow in love might be, um, say you've got a mate who's got depression and he doesn't want to leave his house and you go and knock on his door and you say, hey mate, come forward driving with me and you take him out, motivated by that love in your heart for your friend and you want to see his freedom. That's, that's the sort of treasure that you find in heaven or that mum who gets up in the night to her kid and she's so exhausted and she's so sick of getting up in the night and she just feels like she can't do it one more time but she does it one more time because she doesn't want that baby to feel neglected or like it's crying all on its own and she gets up that one last time that's serious love. Like there's so many simple little ways that we can live from love. We don't need to be some sort of spectacular superhuman. They're just everyday things, you know, um, just noticing that kid, you know. You know, remember when you were a kid and an adult would notice you and actually speak to you on your level? It was just like, oh, wow, I feel special and seen and known and loved. It's pretty cool. And like, you know, in Matthew 25 when... Jesus is like sorting out the sheep from the goats and he says to the sheep, um, 
man, thanks so much for giving me water and feeding me and clothing me and all this stuff. And they're like, when did we do that? And they're just so confused. And he says, oh, when you did it for the least of my people, you did it for me. And so every time that we're actually serving one of these treasures from God's kingdom, one of the two most highly valued thing for God, like God and people are the two most highly valuable things. When we serve a person out of the love in our heart, that just moves him to his core. That just totally blows him away. He actually feels it that we're serving him when we do that. So he, as we wipe our baby's bottom with love in our heart, Jesus is like, cheers for that. <laughs> so we might want to visit people in prison who are lonely and hungry for hope and they're just feeling really low. Or we might want to visit people in old people's homes. They're so sad and they need cuddles and they need kisses on the top of their head and stories and to be seen and valued because they can feel lonely and off by themselves, you know, not without that many people visiting them. These are things that just move God's heart to the core, especially if we do it without anybody else watching. (laughs) Now that's next level. He loves that. If we do it just for the sake of other people seeing us, we've already got our reward. So we don't get the heavenly one. (laughs) Um, So... Sometimes, obviously, the worthless acts might look exactly the same as the valuable acts because, but Jesus doesn't judge our actions. He judges our heart and he's the only one who can. So he, he can see a man's motives. He can see what's driving the person to make that decision and that's how he makes his decisions on whether it was valuable or not. So you want to check your heart, yeah, so, so far we've had a ponder on the hugeness of God, the star breather, and we've had a ponder on the hugeness of eternity and where we'll spend the vast majority of our lives. But I was also thinking um, if we battle with low self-worth or we don't know really our position in Jesus or we feel like we're insignificant and we're not important, hearing all of those things can be quite um, scary and they land in our heart in a way that I don't think God intended for them to land. And so I just wanted to say that he really deeply treasures us as well, even though he refers to us as grasshoppers and dust and clay, he treasures us and... um, One way you know that is because we were birthed out of a desire in God's belly. Like that's so cool, hey? So I was thinking about how, um, say if you were an artist and you got this concept for a painting that was gonna go right there on your wall and it was just gonna make the room just perfect, create just the vibe you wanted. And so you ponder that art piece and then you think, okay, what do I need to make that? And you go and get your canvas and your paints and you put it all together and you paint it just like you dreamed it in your heart. And then you, and you put it all together and you put it in its place and it's like, oh, that's perfect. That's how God feels about every single one of us. We're like this masterpiece creation that he first had a desire for in his gut. And then he's like, man, I just want to make this person who's got this sense of humour and they're just kind of weird in this way and they've got this hair that's this colour and their skin is this and their eyeballs are shaped like that and I'm just going to put them all together because that's what I want. And then from that, 
That's where you were birthed. So everything about you is a design. It's, it's by design intentionally from God. The way that you think, the way that you're wired, your interesting personalities, the way that you do um, your spiritual journey, like all of that stuff that he put on the inside of you is the stuff he loves. He treasures who you are and he knit you together in your mum's womb. And this is another crazy thought. Um, even though we're little creatures made out of dust and God is like that, you know, star-breathing God, he thought we were so valuable that he would come and be one of us. That's crazy. And another thing that's crazy is like he thought that he would come inside of us and riddle our bodies with himself, make us like little houses for him to live in. But we're just little clay creatures, little grasshoppers. And yet that God who breathed out the stars was like, I want to make my home in there. That's going to be great. How crazy is that? Whoa. Okay, this one's really cool too. Um, All the sand on all the seashores in the world, that's how many thoughts he has about you. So I was like, I wonder how many that would be. So I Googled it and <laughs> and it says in one cup of sand, there is over 3,200,000 grains of sand. So that's one cup. And God thinks more thoughts about you individually than every grain of sand on every seashore in the entire world. Like how many thoughts must he be thinking per second? It's just insane. He's obsessed with us. And there's nothing that we could do to make him love us anymore. And there's nothing that we could do to make him love us any less. Like he says we're made in his image and he even says in this one bit, I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to explain that theologically, but he calls us little gods. Whoa, crazy. He, he thinks we're very cool. So now I want to finish by talking about the hugeness of his lordship over our lives. So we've done the hugeness of God, the hugeness of eternity, the hugeness of his love. Now the hugeness of his lordship. This is pretty cool too. Um, so... Even though God calls us sons and daughters and he's adopted us into his family and we're his image bearers and we're called to take dominion over the earth and to rule and reign with him and all of that is true, the Bible also refers to us as clay, grasshoppers, a breath, dust, sheep, slaves and bond servants. Every single one of those words tells us something about who we are to God, positionally as well. Each of these words has a hidden treasure on the inside of it that is so worth exploring and understanding. But we can see why we've gone more into the take dominion, rule and reign, adopt sons and daughters thing, hey, because not all of us have a very healthy self-worth and those ones sound scary. Like, are you saying I'm worthless? And he's definitely not saying that. After everything we've just read, we know he's not saying that. So why is he using these 
these small words to describe us. Um, so if we only understand one part of our place in him, we might get this lopsided view of who God is and a lopsided view of who we are. So say if we just understand I'm a son or daughter, right? Say we've got a really good grasp on I'm a son or daughter, then we might miss out on the fact that I'm a servant and that deletes a whole um, big section of our faith journey with Jesus. It, it means that we potentially could live a life of disobedience and live a life that never really pleases him because a son or daughter just is. When you're born into a family, you can be born a son or daughter and you can go out and become a prostitute or a murderer. You're still a son and daughter. There's nothing you can do to escape the title son or daughter. You just are. So once you're part of a family, you just are. That's, it's, it's design, yeah. But when you're, um, that doesn't really encourage you to live a life worthy of your mother or father. That's just, that's just design. That's just how it is. So the truth is, when we agreed to allow Jesus to buy us out of slavery to sin, we actually agreed to become Jesus' love slaves and get this, we agreed to be owned by Jesus. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. You don't belong to yourself any longer, for the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your body. You were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So we don't belong to ourselves anymore. He is our master and our Lord and our boss, not just our dad. He reminds us that we're bond servants. We're bonded to him as servants. So if you're a Christian, the deal is you don't belong to yourself anymore. How crazy is that? We don't hear that very often. <laughs> you were a slave to sin, but Jesus paid with his blood to buy you out of slavery. When he brought you back to his house, you were now owned by him. Not just family, also servants. So, you know, there's freedom in a family to do what you want, as I said earlier, and... Um, as a family member, you might live for yourself. You might be your own master. You might be like, I'm a son and daughter and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I want with my life. And, but if you're a servant, you live for your master. You don't live for yourself. And that's such a gift for us because um, if we become saved and join God's family and then live for ourselves, sin will just come our master again. And... Um, so it's weird because it's funny that we can be a Christian and yet have sin as our master. It's a strange thing. But you can become a family member in God's family and then sin can gain mastery over you if he is not Lord of your life. Because the way that lordship works is that whatever you obey has authority over you. So whatever you obey then has power in your life. Whatever you obey then has dominion over you. So say if I'm a little daughter, 
I go out into the world and I obey lust because I get a little lust feeling and then I go and act on it. And then as I obey lust, lust then has authority over me and lust then has power over me. And then suddenly I've got a lust problem and I'm like, ah, I don't know how to get out of this. I feel so stuck. Um, why does lust have so much power of me when the Bible says da-da-da-da-da and this is all I have to do? But the fact is it's because Jesus isn't Lord. So when Jesus is Lord, He has all the authority, He has all the power, He has all the dominion over you. So as you, as you repent, what repentance is, is going, oh, I don't want to serve you lust, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. I come under your Lordship, I choose to obey you. And then boom, you're straight underneath a shower of his authority, power, all the precious things that we find in him. So, yeah, if you say if you're a son or daughter and you step out and you think, you step out of the family home and you're like, ah, oh, I need to lie in this situation just to protect myself. You know, I don't feel safe, so I'm just going to tell a little lie. It doesn't make a big deal. As you choose to lie, you step in underneath that spirit of lying. It has authority over you. So this lying, deceitful thing then has power and authority. And you're like, whoa. And then suddenly it's just so much easier to tell a lie. You're, you're stuck in a river of lies and you're do, telling more and more until you get yourself in a horrible big mess. And yet you're from the family of God. But it's because Jesus isn't Lord. <laughs> And Jesus is a master and you're not being a, a slave or a servant in his house. And um, so, yeah, when I submit myself to Jesus, um, then I place myself under his authority and covering and I submit myself to the power of him. So, hmm, if we want to be love slaves to Jesus, then we obey him as our master. Um, and will flow in the fullness of what he has for us. Um, what else? Yeah, this is another thing. If you, if you really have a strong desire to be master over your own life, um, there might be a little bit of rebellion in there. And rebellion is just the same thing where you've stepped in and you hear the word owned and slave and you think, ill. I am not, I'm, I'm bossing myself, no one can control me. When you feel that come up in you, I'm very familiar with that one. <laughs> you, you just, um, you can look up and realise, oh no, the thing that's empowering my life and actually having authority over me is not me. I thought that was me having that voice. It's not, I'm actually a slave to rebellion. It's like, oh, that's annoying. So you can easily choose to not be a slave to rebellion and you won't have that feeling come up on the inside of you anymore. And I can say that from experience. So um, as you choose to go, you know what, I don't, uh, my heart is like, but I'm gonna choose to come underneath your Lordship even though I don't fully get it, Jesus. You, you turn that direction and the rebellion just drops off because it no longer has any power or authority in your life. And then suddenly Jesus has the power and authority in your life. And then that thing from James, James 4, 7, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, it works. 
It doesn't work under here because <laughs> you're underneath something else's lordship. So you say, you're like, ah, oh, devil, go away. And he's like, you invited me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you step over here underneath the lordship of Jesus, you can go, oh, that's still pulling at me. Jesus, like, get rid of that thing. And, and boom, it's gone. Just as easy as that. And trust me, it works. I, I really have experienced that one. So, you know, we've talked about four different areas today and maybe you felt like wonder or curiosity or fear or repentance or anger <laughs> stirring up in your heart um, and like maybe your view of God is so small that it's really hard to step into worship. And so when you go to enter in, you're like, hmm, I'm trying to worship, but I only see him as Jesus, my mate. So it's hard to worship a mate. And, or I'm trying to worship, not, I only get him as Jesus, my brother, and I don't really worship my brother. So I'm trying to worship, but I only really see him as Jesus' daddy. And so I can sit up on his knee and have a cuddle, but it's hard to worship a dad. But when you get a revelation of Jesus as Lord, you're just like, you know, it's easy. <laughs> it's not dry and, and tricky and you've got to work against your flesh and try so hard to worship because he's huge and your head's not like down here looking at little things that you can comprehend like, I know what brother is. I've got a brother. I know what daddy is. I've got a daddy. Your head's up here going, I don't know what star breather is. Like, whoa, <laughs> that is insane. And then you just, you step in and there's just this, it's so easy to worship someone who breathed every single star in the entire known universe out of his mouth. That's so easy. Like what else could you do if you encountered that God? Like what else would you do? If you encountered your little brother, you're not going to do the same thing. <laughs> so if you're feeling like it's really hard to worship and maybe that's at the root of it, come up after and, and get some prayer, and, um, <laughs> Or, you know, <laughs> um, maybe you felt like you wanted to repent for spending the life that God gave you as a gift on worthless stuff, you know? So maybe, um, you know, you're like, that guy in the parable who gets given one coin and there's his little gift of life and he's like, I'm going to bury it and keep it safe for when I die and go to heaven. It's like, ah, uh, probably not a good plan because the king wasn't stoked about that. Like he gave us a gift of life for a purpose and he wants us to spend it and just lavish it on him and on his beautiful people. He wants us to break open our jar of perfume all over their feet and all over his feet. He wants us to live, like really live, not bury our life, not bury our gift. It's a treasure to him. So maybe you want to repent for spending the life that God gave you on worthless things that don't really make his heart sing. Or maybe you're feeling a bit scared or overwhelmed by the bigness of some of these thoughts, you know, like some of these thoughts, if, you're, if you struggle with control, it's a terrifying thing to let go of control and let go of understanding that a universe could be ever expanding into something we don't know and where's the edges 
It's really hard to understand how huge a God could be who could breathe out all of that. It's, it's scary. I had a little girl come to me this week who was just shaking and crying because she kept be, being hit by the extravagance, the hugeness of eternity. It terrified her to her core. She said, I, I keep having panic attacks. I'm just, I'm so scared. I just think of eternity and it terrifies me. And we just had this beautiful conversation about it. But that's actually a really reasonable response to that concept. And we can pray with you through that. Maybe you feel insecure in your salvation. Um, you know, when you're hearing all of these things about, oh, Jesus is going to judge me and he's going to judge the stuff I do. And you're feeling scared even about, am I really saved? Do I really know him? Am I really going to heaven? Or maybe you've never met him. Either way, you're welcome to come up for prayer. And maybe you don't understand how loved you are. Maybe you just want a fresh revelation of how truly, deeply, passionately he loves you. Like the God who thinks more thoughts about you than every grain of sand on all the seashores in the earth. Maybe you need a revelation of that in which case you're welcome to come up for prayer. Or maybe you want to repent for living as your own Lord. And I don't mean like you don't have to howl on the floor to repent, but I mean more just going, I don't actually want to be your slave anymore, sin thing. I actually want to be a slave of Jesus because he already paid for that and I'm kind of slapping him in the face by not doing it anyway. But also my life will benefit greatly from living under this stream. <laughs> um, if any of these things are rolling around in your heart, then you're welcome to pop up the front afterwards and the people with lanyards on are trained prayer people and they'll pray for you. That's it.